Hello and welcome to the Guernsey Press Sport Podcast. My name is Tony Kerr and with me this week is Gareth DePrevo. Hi Tony. And Jamie Ingle. Hi Tony. Great to see you guys. Coming up we'll be talking uh, Guernsey Raiders who are back at home on Saturday. We'll be speaking to Guernsey Cricket's Ben Fairbrush um, to look back on the season as a whole and look ahead um, to his trip down under. Uh, but let's start with the half marathon, Jamie, because you were covering this um, at the weekend Sunday's Butterfield Half Marathon. Uh, looked like a, a colourful event. There was a bit of extra on it as well with the Island Games next year. Did that Island Games incentive um, bring out some top performances at the front? I'd say so. Like both on the men's end and the women's end, it's one of the more competitive halves we've seen in recent years. But uh, yeah, I, I want to focus specifically on the men's race because it was particularly strong, I would say. Uh, there were no major surprises in the podiums, but the quality of performance for a local race it was just quite it was just really good to watch uh okay so you had steve dawes he sort of came back from a bit of a covid hangover to win overall but then you had uh james priest running a personal best only about 40 seconds behind him and young sammy galpin who yeah i was really pleased to see him get third place and also get an island games a standard there's a good chance that might be the team that we see represent Guernsey at the home games but yeah Sammy in particular he's only 22 years old it's quite young to be taking to this sort of distance and really focusing on it he was up against two very experienced runners at the front end he just ran his own race ran a massive personal best I mean he was three minutes yeah three minutes better than his previous time you could just see from how he was speaking about it he was yeah buzzing with that performance the fact that there are sort of games places up for grabs was there any kind of hint of tactics i mean uh, you know were people was there a sense that the the front runners were going head to head oh yeah definitely so yeah i mean it's first place as long as you get the a standards as well that's when you've got proper priority for the island games i think more so in the women's race that's where you got a feel of a real head to head because you had two who are quite evenly matched have not raced that much recently and it's quite hard to call so in the end jenny james and Ulrika mace were together to 11 miles then with 2.1 miles to go or, or whatever uh jenny made a break in the end actually won by a decent chunk but yeah um that was quite a good race because all of the top three athletes were veterans <laughs> Yeah, it's quite encouraging because, I mean, we could potentially have an Island Games half marathon team where everyone is in their early, early 40s with a woman. It's just nice that you can still represent your islands and potentially still improve quite a lot in those ages. Um, we also had Sarah Eagles, who was third place woman. She ran a massive personal best. Yeah, broke 90 minutes, which is quite impressive. And what about the sort of feel of the event as a whole? Um, you know, we've seen some really big fields for the half marathon in recent years, I suppose, particularly around the kind of lockdowns, the pandemic when, when lots of people are on island. But um, yeah, was, was it a good turnout, a good uh, entry this year? Oh, yeah. So we had 525 on the entry list. We didn't have quite that many on the start line. And I believe we had around 350 finishers. But uh, it is always a sense that it is a well-supported event. Um, I do think September works out quite well as the new date because it always did used to be the father's day half when it's 13.1 miles on the roads regardless of ability you don't really want it to be a hot day out so you've got that nice cool september weather as long as the wind doesn't get too crazy you can get some nice quite quick times in, in those circumstances yeah i guess next up the full marathon in april um so i suppose a few of those will be yeah. looking at that <laughs> i'm hoping to do that one be, be a bit of a comeback race 
Well, build up starts now. There we go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All eyes are on you now, Jamie. <laughs> no, no, I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> you talk about the heat, Jamie. Um, I was up on Saturday uh, for the Guernsey Strongest Club um, sort of return event, um, which was quite fun to watch actually in quite a sunny day um up there fantastic atmosphere behind the last post as you'd expect quite a few people with pint in hand watching on and uh, about 30 uh, competitors kind of taking on the full gamut of the challenges of keg presses and um truck pulls uh, it was actually really quite fantastic to see and uh, an amazingly supportive crowd uh, so i just wanted to mention that i suppose it's not sort of strictly speaking the sort of event that would normally grace the the sports pages of the paper um but some yeah incredible athletic achievements on show there i mean there were quite a few um actual sort of um sort of fame famous faces but locally and well-known high-profile sporting people involved weren't they i'm sure a few of the the raiders ladies were involved uh, yeah what i saw on social media yeah it was good turnout from the uh, rugby community for sure um so yeah their first full event in uh, well five years or so so um yeah congratulations to them and hope to, to see sort of more of those over the coming years i think you were focusing on a bit of the football the weekend gareth anywhere else you've been this week um, no, I've actually been mainly at football grounds this week, but um, I was certainly last Saturday because of the, the timings, everything. I was sort of almost glued to, to Twitter to see how Raiders were getting on in their um, away game last Saturday. And uh, it, was, it was obviously the best half performance they've had of the, the season. They were excellent by all accounts in the first half against Henley. They finished um, that half 24-15 ahead, I think. And they actually opened up a 16-point lead at one point. Um, so uh, that was really promising because Henley are always a very strong side, especially at home. Um, so, um, yeah, unfortunately, Raiders were um, not able to add to their tally in the second half. They, um, they, they lost momentum a bit sort of just before half time and um, Henley certainly came on strong in the second half. But then it came down to a late controversial decision or non-decision or, or sort of a bit of both really it was I mean it's a bit hard when you're not there at, at the, the game you um, you sort of go by what you, you hear but from from Raiders perspective they basically went over in the corner in the last minute thinking they'd basically scored the match winning try when they were four points down at the time and um, we, we got the picture which we published on the back page of the press earlier this week that uh, the referee initially awarded the try so there was sort of huge celebrations going on and then sort of um, the the officials sort of got together and had a quick discussion and um, the the try was then not awarded. It was disallowed for an apparent knock-on, which was spotted by the assistant. So um, unfortunately that, um, yeah, it dampened the celebrations very quickly. Um, Guernsey still had a penalty and they tried to take advantage of it, um, but the rolling mall didn't might quite make the line and um, it was a judge that they were the ones who sort of brought it down. So unfortunately, it was one of those things that went against them. But uh, no, it was, it was a, a decent effort by Raiders on a, on a very hard trip to Henley. So yeah. um, a lot of positives to take from it, I'm sure. That's really cruel. Um, it's been a fair amount of sort of con- controversial finishes to rugby matches around, particularly in the Southern Hemisphere. Uh, <laughs> yes. Was it, sort of, was it on that <laughs> level, do you think? Um Oh, well, I suppose it's one of those things. It's all relative, isn't it? I mean, to Guernsey, it would have been a massive win if they had gone away to Henley, having not won so far this season, and come away with a sort of a last gasp victory there. It would have been huge. And um, yeah, it's one of those that I imagine if I'd have been speaking to Jordan Reynolds straight after the game, he might have been a bit more um, <laughs> vociferous than what he was on Monday by the time I actually got round to speaking to him. 
Um, and he, he was he was actually quite philosophical about it by the time I spoke to him. But uh, yeah, it's uh, one of those. If it happened at Foots Lane, I, I do wonder what sort of reception the referee might have had when when he walked back to the, through the tunnel. But um, I know it's one of those things uh, in in rugby. It's sort of accepted, and they shake hands at the end and. Um, yeah, Jordan just sort of took the positives from the game. We got two points out of the game. We scored four tries and got the losing bonus point by being within seven anyway. So um, it, it wasn't a bad day for Guernsey. It just could have been that much better. Yeah, good return. And I spoke to Jordy ahead of the um, the trip and he basically said, you know, we, we need to at least show something. We need to put in a performance to be proud of. So um, it definitely sounds like they've, they've done that. As you say, um, three games, three losses though um, so far. But... Uh, a chance in the next couple of weeks to put that right. A, a couple of, um, I suppose, appetising home games to look forward to either side of it. A trip to Tunbridge, Juddians, um, Westcliff, the visitors in a couple of weeks, um, and North Walsham, the, the new faces at Foots Lane uh, this weekend, this Saturday. And um, with North Walsham second from bottom and Westcliff bottom, um, yeah, I suppose they'll be looking forward to these next couple of games. Yeah, sure. Um, I, I know they're certainly targeting the North Walsham game as a, as a potential first one of the season on Saturday. I mean, obviously the league table suggests that um, it, it, it should be a winnable game for Guernsey but um, like you say Tony they're new opposition for the Raiders so um, you don't really know what's coming apart from the fact that they, they have put on sort of decent scores against good sides in Canterbury and Bury St Edmunds so far although they ended up in defeats I think they scored three tries against both those sides and they're good sides so you'd imagine I mean every game at this level is tough it's uh, it's a hard league to play in but um, Raiders had been forced into a couple of changes because they picked up a couple of injuries away at uh, Henley. Uh, Owen Thomas is is out, as is uh, Kieran McGann. Um, but it does mean that we get to see Tom Teasdale back in the starting um, 15 for Raiders, which is great. I mean, he's been out for so long with injury and he's um, one of our own academy products. It's great to see him back in, in full flow. Um, and there's been a bit of a rejig of the back line to sort of bring him in. Charlie Davis is going to move to fly half. So it'll be interesting to see how they go. And um, also it's great that Tom Sealham's back um, a bit earlier than expected, having picked up an injury early in the season. So he'll be um, part of the match day squad. Uh, that game kicks off at three o'clock on Saturday. And uh, I mean, you'd have to say Raiders would probably be favourites for that. But uh, yeah, I'm sure it'll be another tough one. Yeah, here's hoping they land that first win of the season. Um, right, that's it for part one. Coming up next, we'll be talking cricket. Welcome back to the Guernsey Press Sport Podcast. Now, it's been a, a big summer of cricket after a few fallow years. We've seen lots of interinsular action. Um, Guernsey's senior and under-19 sides involved in tournaments as well. But things for most island cricketers, just about closing up. Kit bags going back in cupboards, um, but not for um, Guernsey Cricket's development manager, Ben Fairbrush, who joins us now um, before heading out for a few months to warmer climes. Welcome to the pod, Ben. Cheers, Tony. Thanks for having me. Great to see you in here. Yeah, as you say, your cricket season very much not over then. Um, just tell us kind of what you're going to be doing and, and sort of how it's come about. Yeah, so uh, part of our development plan at Guernsey Cricket is uh, an overseas placement, um, sort of developing coaches and players throughout. So yeah, we're, we're looking to go away and we are going away to, to Melbourne this winter. Myself and Charlie Clapham, um, who captained the OEs in the college this year, uh, was unfortunately a bit too old for the, the under-19s. But yeah, we're heading out there to do uh, a, a stint of playing and coaching. Yeah, fantastic. And what's it going to look like on the ground then for you and, and for Charlie? So uh, Charlie's very much going out as a, on a playing sort of basis with a bit of junior coaching. Uh, I'm actually forming part of a coaching team for the senior side uh, out there. They've got seven senior men's side. Uh, when I spoke to the club, they, they said there's 
could be up to 70 people at a training session across five nets. So uh, 70 into five is, is a bit too many. So <laughs> quite a lot of organisation there. Um, but yeah, it's sort of throw me in the deep end and, and I'm very much going for coaching. Uh, I'm still hanging in there as a player at the moment. So uh, that's going to be a bit of a secondary thing, but yeah, I'm going to aim to play as well. You're going to be wielding the blade down there? <laughs> yeah, hopefully. Um, so yeah, yeah. I don't know what standard or what level it is really for, for coaching I'm there. And just sort of put it into context for us and where did the, this kind of arrangementless link kind of come from and, and how do you see it progressing going forward? Yeah, so myself and Mark Latter sat down um, during lockdown uh, and got onto a few Zoom calls with various countries and the ICC. Uh, and it sort of came from looking at Holland cricket. Um, so the Dutch cricket board actually send players out to various countries. Uh, they do a stint for a couple of months and then return back home. Um, it's sort of the easiest way to develop cricketers our biggest problem is we've got a season of whatever, sort of three, four months. And then we sort of go back indoors. We spend a lot of time indoors uh, and a lot of our developing could be done on the pitch. Um, so yeah, this comes as a great opportunity. Um, not only for someone like Charlie, it's not going to develop his cricket. Obviously he's going to be thrown at the deep end and have to learn a lot living away from home for the first time. Uh, so it sort of develops people as rounded people as well. Yeah, I mean, obviously Ben, with your role, you've been heavily involved in the under-19s and with Charlie and what have you. I mean... We've seen a lot of talent coming in in these juniors. How big a step, or how how important is it for these lads to be able to sort of be able to get off island for a decent chunk of time to actually develop their game? I think it's hugely important. Um, we always look at ways of how we can improve local cricket. This is an easy way of of improving local cricket. Um, I, I look at sort of how Char what Charlie's going to do out in Australia, uh, and not only Charlie players in the future. And I think we could just go hugely grow as cricketers. Mm. Um, one of the biggest problems in Guernsey is we play against the same people week in, mm. week out. Uh, ideally, what you need to do is challenge yourself. We, we always see ourselves when we go away for Guernsey is we come up against new players, uh, new teams, and we probably problem solve a bit slower than, than what we would if we played against different people each week. Uh, I know that's a bit different in the UK because you get to play against different players. There's probably more teams in a league uh, and it's trying to replicate that. So these players are quicker at problem solving. Uh, like I said, one of the, the problems and also a, a pro of Guernsey is that you play against the same guys, you know them. Um, so you can sort of get used to that and get a bit comfortable. Yeah, um, certainly with Charlie. I mean, he, he's had a decent season. He, he plays a bit of senior, a bit of junior. When you go to, when he goes to somewhere like Australia, is he sort of, are they looking at him going straight into senior level cricket? Yeah, so it will be senior level. Um, I'm not sure if they do a, a, an under-24s competition. So when I last went out to Australia, uh, which was 2010-11, uh, I was then young enough. So it was an under-24s competition. Um, and that was a really good competition. So you got sort of like a, a go at your own level and then a go in the in the men's division as well. Um, obviously over here, sort of as soon as you come out of under-19 cricket, you're straight into to senior cricket, uh, which it's good and it's bad. Um, I guess we haven't got the numbers to, to mm. grow that area. One of the other biggest problems is we, we lose a lot of cricketers between the ages of sort of 18 and, and 21 when they go off to uni. Yeah. Uh, and then with, with that, obviously they come back. So that's probably not really a competition for us that we can, we can sort of form because of that, those barriers of people going off for education. And in terms of um, the formats they play over there, obviously Guernsey, we've been with the ICC and the European, we're very much sort of head, head towards T20 because that's what our funding's almost based on, what have you. What sort of stuff will Charlie and, and yourself be facing when you go out there? So uh, the, the first week or the first two weeks is actually a Red Bull game with Whites, um, which 
hopefully my injury actually curtails that, so I don't play in that one. <laughs> a swinging red ball is probably not for me. <laughs> um, but then we go into a white ball cricket as well, so there's 50 over standard sort of ODI rules, uh, and then they do T20, the other side of Christmas. Um, Charlie's actually heading out for six months, so he, he's doing a full season. I'm just doing the first stint, so just before Christmas. Um, so I won't see any of the T20s, but yeah, I'll see... Red Bull White's uh, two-day cricket across two weekends and then 50-over cricket standard ODI rules, um, which, yeah, I, I think there's a place for all forms of cricket. Mm. Um, obviously, the Guernsey sort of focus at the moment is really T20s because that's that's where we're placed with the ICC. We've seen players or Guernsey players kind of going out to Australia, maybe of their own accord. But th- is this the first time that you've had a kind of, if you like, official link up with the club down there as, as Guernsey cricket? Yeah, so how it sort of came about, like I said, was through... Cricket Holland. I then went out and put a few feelers out to Australia, um, went through a few people I knew, uh, asked a few parents. In fact, one of the parents in our system, we've got a couple of kids in the under 13s and under 11s. Um, she actually used to work for Cricket Australia. And it's only until you start asking these questions that you find these things out. <laughs> um, and that was just off the back of a conversation in the sports hall in the winter. Um, so we had a few links into clubs. Uh, and there we sort of, you know, cherry picked the ones, had a look at the standard, had a look at how many teams they've got what the facilities were like, everything. Um, the one we're going to, Brunswick um, Cricket Club in, in Melbourne, play a suburban turf league, so a very good standard. Um, even something as simple as they, they they have their games recorded. So there's video footage after a game, which some other clubs didn't do. So the bonus of that for players is that we can analyse the video after. So for Charlie, it's going to be huge, which is not something we've currently got in Guernsey we are looking at. Um, but yeah, that, that sort of is how it came about. We sort of cherry-picked the ones that we did. I uh, probably had four or five Zoom calls uh, and then sort of went, right, this is the option we're going to go to. Um, and it, yeah, it was just sort of the, the the best one on the table. Yeah, fantastic. And is it something, uh, you know, a relationship that as you build will kind of benefit us this way as well? We'll see players coming coming back to Guernsey. Yeah, so that's the idea. Um, we're, we're looking to get players back from Brunswick to Guernsey and strengthen our leagues, um, which, yeah, we've always sort of struggled since the likes of Ami Banerjee and Divan van der Hever you know, Glenn Milnes, these sorts of guys who came over for work uh, and really strengthened our leagues. That hasn't sort of happened more recently um, for whatever reason. So, you know, we're sort of off our own back trying to create that and, you know, lift the league standard. Um, Not only do those players then get involved with playing club cricket, they get involved with coaching club cricket. So it sort of just develops Guernsey cricket on a whole. Because you as development manager you know, working with the kids, you're in the the office down at the KG5, you're obviously playing for the island as well. You probably know as much about Guernsey cricket at the moment as anyone. You see as much as anyone. (laughs) Yeah, no, so I'm obviously heavily involved. Um, It's something that I absolutely love doing. So yeah, it never seems like it's a a chore to to go to work. It's always an honour. Yeah, and it's it's a great, you know, environment to be involved with. Um, I've made sort of no secret since I took the role that eventually I'd love to coach Guernsey cricket. The only way of myself doing that without having to leave my job is actually these sorts of experiences going away and developing as a coach. Um, the difficulty is if I don't do that, I'm just taking all my playing experience for Guernsey for, for a number of years now to then go back into coaching. Um, I need some experience as a coach, which, yeah, that's definitely going to challenge me with the numbers we were talking about before. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's exciting. And I, I suppose, you know, in terms of the coaching situation with, with Guernsey in the last couple of years, it has been you know it's been a tricky kind of period I, I suppose not too much continuity but how you know when you compare us to Jersey where they've had Neil McRae in place for for many years I mean probably coming up to a de- decade yeah. now how difficult is it to create a winning side at the top level when you don't have the kind of sort of solid base of, of continuity yeah I think 2019 and 2020 was 
pretty, or 2020, sorry, in 2021, were pretty tricky for anyone. Um, with the pandemic, we played one game of cricket in that time. And I think we were the only nation at that time to have played a game. So we played Isle of Man when they came. Ahead of the game at that point. Yeah, so, <laughs> um, with, with that, it's, you could argue, did we actually need a coach for those two years, which we, we didn't obviously have. Uh, there was always a problem in local sport is finding those challenges. Uh, I know local players love um, the carrot of something to aim for. Often when you turn up to training, it just feels like you're training if there's no games on the, on the horizon, um, which was the difficult thing in, in 2020 and 2021. Uh, we obviously got through 2022 this year um, with uh, Nick Pothas and, and Stefan Jones, who added great value, fantastic coaches. Um, ideally, you need someone on island to, to be running that as well. Um, and I know that's what we're looking towards now is, is trying to find the right person to run that side. Um, next year is a bit of a different one as well. We haven't got anything. We obviously didn't qualify in, in Finland. Uh, we've got a couple of interinsulars. And I know the focus next year is really on the 19s. And then following that, it's the following year is going to be the, the seniors again. We'll have another qualifier. Uh, it's, it's no secret that we massively underperformed in Finland. Uh, those sides shouldn't be beating us and we shouldn't be losing to those sorts of sides. Um, and it's trying to find a way of improving those skill levels. Uh, very much through playing. P people love playing the game. They probably don't want to train so much. <laughs> <laughs> um, one thing, we, we, I mean, we haven't actually had a, a cricketer in since the, the Indrinsula happened. Um, just looking specifically at that game, it looked a bit of a thriller on the scorecard and what have you. Uh, you, were, you weren't able to play because of your injury at the time. You had to withdraw, but you were there sort of with the side. I mean, how, what was the sort of like the feeling within the camp almost before, during and after the game on that day? Because it was such a, a quick fire, short lived game, but yeah. so close as well. Yeah, it was a strange one. Um, the, the wicket spun. So it was, that's all it actually did. It, it wasn't like it was doing everything. Um, but both teams, I would say, batted poorly. Uh, there wasn't, you know, that many good balls that got people out, um, with the exception of Luke Bishard for us bowled superbly. Uh, probably the best I've seen him bowl in a, in a Guernsey shirt um, since he's come into the side. That being said, it, it, it was a strange game because we definitely underperformed at the halfway. It was sort of one of those where we were like, what did we expect, really? Have we prepared the best for this mm. sort of thing? Then after the game... For me, I feel like it glossed over a few cracks mm. <laughs> because Jersey batted pretty poorly in it. Um, and speaking to them after, you know, they they said that it should have never got as close as it did. Um, it would have obviously been lovely to win one because we haven't won one for a number of years now. But for, for me, I think it was actually a, a good thing that we're at a stage there that we can reflect on that game and say, actually, it wasn't as close as it probably looked on mm. the scorecard. Um, it was a thriller. There was wickets falling left, right and centre. Um but realistically, if we had got 200, well, then you'd have probably backed us to, mm. to be in the game. Um, they didn't have many of their seamers playing. So they actually went spin heavy, probably while the wicket turned a little bit. And they went their slower bowlers. For us, we don't have that luxury where we've got six, seven seamers. Uh, there's certainly them coming through. Mm. Um, and we don't have the luxury where, we've, where we can pick and choose. We obviously lost a couple of players to injury. Uh, Will Peatfield went down midway through the game as well, which didn't help. So you lose your frontline seamer. Um, yeah, I, I think f for me, I was obviously there sort of in a coaching guise and just did a few warm-ups with the boys. But yeah, w the sort of reflection after from everyone was, you know, that's part of the journey we're on. We're probably where Jersey were a good few years ago. Um, I'd go back to when I think we played them in Malaysia. They were sort of where we are now, um, very much at the bottom of going forwards. And there's no reason why we can't do what they've done. Um, they're still the same cricketers that are playing, that were playing 
years ago yeah. and more coming through the system. Now, when I look at under-19s, there's five or six there who are performing in adult cricket. So there's no reason why they can't come through and do exactly what your likes of Asa Tribe um, and Harrison Carline are doing for Jersey. We're probably two years behind that, but that's not to say that we can't then end up doing that ourselves. Yeah, I was going to actually mention the fact that the under-19s watching the tournament here um, <clears throat> and sort of like the, the exciting prospects we got in that side. I mean, you're, you're talking about sort of a couple, some already playing well in senior cricket, but they are only sort of 15, 16, some of those. Is, is there almost a temptation to chuck them in too early? I mean, how would you like to see sort of that develop? Do you sort of almost put a, an age limit on it going into senior cricket as the Ireland's national squad? There's there's no real age limit. Um what we've had so far there hasn't been I think it's just when the player's ready mm. it might be that they get exposure against sort of your lower ranked ICC nations that we could organise some fixtures against um, or we used to have lots of fixtures against you like Sussex Academy Holland A used to come over so we used to play all these sorts of teams that might be where we can get them the fixtures I've always said the difficulty is in the last couple of years is for us to find out about a player we have to select them in a T20i which has ranking points mm. and, and a lot riding on it to find out if they're sort of there or, or not. And <laughs> that's kind of a bit of an awkward one because you're naturally probably not going to do that. But then we probably haven't given the players the exposure they need. Mm. Um, obviously, I've got no ease hat on as well. And I sort of that side out. When I look at Charlie Birch, how much he's developed in the last two years, that's huge. He's in the top three of the batting averages for the last two years. Well, he's really knocking on the door. We now need to get him some exposure in the first team because he did really well at under 19 level as well. So that, that's, that's sort of the stepping stone is making sure we have a clear pathway for these players to go through, which has been the difficulty in the past is we've sort of stopped at under 19s. And, and, you know, another thing that we've looked at creating that I'm quite passionate about is an A team. We, we haven't got that. So my biggest bugbear is you fall out the under 19s because you're too old. If you're not in the seniors, you just go into club cricket. Mm. Ideally, you want to keep some players on the radar because you need to make sure these players are developing. I mean, pe people develop at a different rate as well. Uh, I'm, Hope, I'd like to think I'm a better player now that I'm this old than when I was when I was 21. So for me, I might have been developing at 26, 27, but I got the exposure at 21, 22 for Guernsey. I was fortunate enough to be in that environment. It was probably less cutthroat then as well. There was yeah. less riding on it, so yeah. you could give me the games. Mm. <laughs> Whereas now it's more cutthroat. It could be that, you know, like next year we'd have a tournament now to yeah. be qualified. Well, that's not ideal because that's what we need to have. We need to have these tournaments. We need to have all the fixtures we can get. Um, and that's sort of a reflection over the last couple of years and we know it's due to COVID, but we used to play sort of 12 to 15 games as a senior side a year. That hasn't happened for the last three years until this year. Well, your best experience and the way you develop is by going into a game and doing it. Hmm. You can look the best player in the nets, but actually, can you do it when you don't know where the ball's going? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, actually, sort of touching on what you said there, um, earlier you sort of said the side in Finland sort of underperformed, which is, I mean, everyone would probably agree with that. But the cutthroat nature of that tournament meant there was a huge amount of pressure on the team and sort of away from you as a player, more as a, as a coaching thing, it's, it's a case of how can you prepare a side for going into a tournament that's actually so important yeah. without actually having anything to have sort of prepared for it? You know, it, 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 there was so much riding on it and T20, as we all know, is a format where one bloke goes in swinging from the hip and if he comes off like, like the guy did against us who scored 70 odd in yeah. no time at all, all of a sudden, your next two years is almost wrecked yeah yeah it's really tricky the other thing with those games as well as those sorts of players like you said he, the Austrian guy that came in and smashed it well we're playing on a mat mm. the ball doesn't do anything on the mat 
when they get to grass, he's going to struggle. Yeah. There's no yeah. secret. The ball's going to start seeming around. Yeah. Um, he wouldn't have scored many at Farmers that day. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's that's sort of the the nature of ICC. They're trying to make it competitive and get loads of nations in, which I fully understand. It's about growing the game. The downside of that is is as we're a limited population, it's really cutthroat to replicate those sorts of fixtures like we had, and the same in the under 19s is really really hard. Mm. We play a lot of league cricket here, which is great because it's lots of cricket and naturally the best team probably wins the league because they play the best over the season. Your nature of a tournament cricket is someone can have a day out for two games and all of a sudden they're in a final, yeah. um, which is very much where we found ourselves. The under-19s are a bit different. They had, a, they had a semi-final playoff, but likewise, we could have won our group in the under-19s, not lost a game, then lost a semi, then lost third and fourth playoff like the Isle of Man did. And we're out of the tournament. Mm. It's like, well, how's that fair? We just, we've won more games than the team that have finished third, mm. but we could be out. Mm. As it happens, we were fortunate enough, we won our semi-final. And then we went on to the final. Obviously, that semi-final was a, a massive day in Guernsey cricket. I think mm. had loads of people down there. It was a great day with against Norway. And winning at eight down was fantastic. Yeah, that was a very memorable uh, late afternoon, wasn't it? Um, and yeah, I, I, it was so refreshing to see as well a Guernsey side dig in like that in a, in a high-pressure situation for, for a, a young team to... Well, not quite back to the wall, but yeah, yeah. right up against it um, to come through it. Yeah, yeah, it must so give you a lot of confidence as a coach. Massively. Uh, that week was a bit of a weird one because I was uh, in, <laughs> in, in my car. I unfortunately got COVID straight after Finland. So I've had a bit of a rough end to the season. <laughs> but yeah, yeah I got in my car, the far side of the ground, and I was messaging Skeg, Nick Bothus. And he was like, how are they getting on? And I was like, oh, we just need to find a way of getting over the line in games like this. And I was like, it's a massive struggle. We're having a big conversation on whatsapp and messaging and uh, so we're having this chat and then about half an hour later he takes me and how we get on i said oh we won by two wickets <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but it was fantastic when i look at charlie forshaw and max johnson the two lads at the end and joe marshall before that well charlie's 15 that's an unbelievable knock for a 15 year old max johnson just looked so calm when i spoke to him and obviously we've recorded a few podcasts on the guernsey cricket one he said i wasn't that calm he said i just <laughs> i might have shown that he said but i was not that calm he said i was, I was panicking Joe Marshall the same. Getting these guys that exposure and actually winning that game, that's more than probably going in and smashing teams in a tournament. That's the sort of games we've got to win because like you said, naturally a Guernsey team usually would probably just fall away and not quite get there. Um, and then we'd go back and say, oh, we were probably 20, 20 run or 20 balls, 20 uh, runs too heavy in the first innings. You know, we could have got them out a bit quicker than that. And there's always a, a reason with that, it's always hard to say because there's different scenarios that could come in. Um, but yeah, it was a massively proud moment. And to see the lads jump into the fans as well, that was a great little shot. Yeah, it was huge. Yeah. It was absolutely brilliant. <laughs> and how big an opportunity have they got next summer now? Do, do we know where that tournament's going to be? And, and uh, Not yet. Um, possibly Holland, possibly Jersey. Um, I don't think we, we can host it due to the nature of pitches we need. Um, but yeah, that, that sort of... Uh, tournament is huge when I look at the teams in there so we've obviously played Norway and Italy um, we can and should beat those teams played Jersey the week on Sunday we're very competitive against Jersey uh, we lost the game in the under 19s when we really should have won it that being said in that under 19 game we were missing six players so actually the depth we've got there is is fantastic um, then if you know you beat those three and you beat one of Ireland or Scotland all of a sudden you're in the World Cup, which is <laughs> mental to think about it. Ireland and Scotland are of a level a lot higher than that, but you never know. It's, it's one of those things. Um, the, the group we've got there are incredible. I think we've just 
uh, started going for our winter numbers for training and there's 19 players in the under 19s who stay in the under 19s there's a further 16 coming out of the under 15s that go into that age group so we've got a huge player pool the under 15s are a, a strong side we went on tour to Liverpool um, some really good performances there well actually we're in a really good place it's a really it's a tough selection whereas I think in the past we've sort of just gone for who is there because that's all we've had is sort of 15 guys at training and you're maybe leaving one or two out now we've got sort of 30 guys at training and it's actually getting quite tough to say, right, who are we picking? And even that in the tournament, we were leaving players out um, and not ideal. I was doing it over the phone because that's all I could do. But it was sort of like, you've done nothing wrong, but unfortunately you're going to miss out today. It was a really hard selection because it, it just you just couldn't really justify why other than giving players a game to see what they were like at this level. Um, and especially when, you know, we, we obviously beat France quite convincingly. Well, look, None of the batters got a bat, <laughs> so you're yeah. you're, game, you're one game into a, a five or six team to, a five or six game tournament, and you haven't looked at the batters yet. Two games in, we won it. I think two down. It's like, oh no, hang on, we, we haven't really looked at anyone yet. Yeah. Mm. So yeah, and I don't know if your role as development manager, how much um, that extends to kind of club cricket uh, or, or kind of who's responsible for sort of fostering that. But in terms of that, um, yeah, a fantastic weight of numbers kind of, of, of really keen junior cricketers. Do you see that filtering through to a strong club scene as well? Yeah, so the, the, in terms of junior clubs, uh, there's there's three junior clubs, Cobo Griffins and then Wanderers Regulars, uh, which follows the the weekend league sides. Obviously, since then, we've introduced the OEs into the adult league. Uh, you, you can't do an OEs junior side because that'll be the vast majority of cricketers. Um, so that, you know, that wouldn't be fair. We then, those clubs filter into even league. Um, there's already talk sort of for next year. We're not a million miles away and I think we're ready for it to have a fourth division again. So we put a fourth division in. That's a great stepping stone for the guys coming out of junior cricket into adult cricket. Some of them will bypass that division by the nature of the, the level they're at. If I look at Charlie Forshaw and Harry Johnson. Well, they're taking nine wickets apiece in, in even league. Like in even league one, that is. They don't need to play even league three or four because they're going to get their cricket in even league one they probably want to play even league two as a batter, which to be fair, the clubs are very good at, at getting them through. So, so those two, for example, Charlie's with the regulars and the regulars, are, are, he's a batter in division two, he gets a good bat and then, and then he bowls in division one. The likes of Casper Larray is the same. Um, uh, like I said, Harry Johnson, I know Dave Pising is, is always messaging me saying, right, Harry's playing tonight as a batter. This is what he's done. So we sort of got our almost scouts out, if you like, um, doing that work for us, which is amazing because um, they're getting that exposure at a higher level. Uh, the most important thing there is we put on Colts cricket as well. These players need to play in Colts cricket because that's where they should be dominating. I don't expect them to dominate in adult cricket because they're 15 years old. <laughs> it's, it's the nature of they're a lot smaller than, than most adults. When they get to 18, though, the place they're going to be in is unbelievable. But by then, those two should and hopefully be bowling pretty quick. Uh, I think I'll retire by then. So. I was going to say, <laughs> say Div 4 sounds like the place well, to be, to be honest. Yeah. Char Charlie got me out last year, so... Uh. Yeah. <laughs> what about, you know, you mentioned OEs there. That's obviously been a big focus for you in the last couple of years um, and, and it's been great to see. What about kind of, uh, you know, trying to re regenerate cricket outside of, of college? Is that something that's sort of high up your agenda? Yes, yeah, so that's definitely been something that's discussed. Like I said before, we've, we've had meetings all week um, as, a, as a team as Guernsey Cricket. Um, and that is something that's huge for us. We, we need to regenerate secondary school cricket. The nature of it is it's been harder to get into those schools. Um, 
one through facilities uh, and and two accessibility, whereas that's been easier with college. So we've done the college model now. We now we just need to go and replicate that into secondary schools. When, when I was at school, we played secondary schools. I was obviously at college, but we played all the secondary schools. Um, the split in the first team currently is pretty much 50-50 between secondary school and college students. We need to keep that going. Through our age groups from under 13s down, that's very much the case. There's been a sort of period between the 15s and under 17s and under 19s where it's heavily into, into college for whatever reason. Um, we are focusing again back on secondary schools to try and get in there. We obviously go into every single primary school. So they get their first experience at cricket at years five and six. We then need to convert them in years seven, eight, nine wherever they are, um, which is the big thing. Yeah, that, that is a huge focus. Great to hear that. Uh, Furby, thanks for coming in. Best of luck down under. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> You're packed? Uh, no, I haven't even started yet. So, uh, yeah, no, I've, much to my wife's um, disbelief that I'm that unorganised. I can't pack my bags yet. <laughs> I think it's a good time to be going, Ben. When you look out the window, it's absolutely hosing down around here. Yeah. Ideal time to be heading to Very gloomy morning. I might <laughs> yeah. come with you, actually. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, good stuff. Well, wish you all the best and uh, keep us posted. Um, you mentioned your podcast before. I don't know if you're going to be doing any anything like that. Yeah, so uh, potentially I am looking to take out the microphone and, and do all our, our podcasts from distance. Um, with that, I've already reached out to certain people uh, higher up the ranks. So Paul Franks is going to try and get me in contact with Dave Hussey at Melbourne Stars and at Victoria Cricket. So trying to go and shadow some professional sides, but also then I can jump in and get a podcast. <laughs> yeah, and get an well, I thought you did a great job in Finland um, with the, uh, yes. Yeah, so, no, yeah, it was good fun. Like, I, just, I suppose, so take us inside the, uh, the bedrooms. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We had, we, of, to be there. we had a lot of downtime there. So the <laughs> podcast sort of passed a few, a few spare hours we had. <laughs> yeah, no, really good stuff. Well, um, yeah, best of luck and we'll, uh, I suppose, see you on the other side. Perfect. Thank you very much. Right, let's have a quick look ahead to what's coming up this weekend. Gareth, um, it was a busy weekend of hockey last week with the, the visit of Hockey for Heroes, um, which sounded like a, a, a cracking weekend as a sort of precursor um, to the league's getting underway this Saturday. Yeah, Tony, we're back at um, back for a new season of, on hockey and uh, the the men's division starts with the, the champions taking on Elizabeth College. So it's Yobos against Elizabeth College on Saturday morning and then the two old rivals, Indies and Colombians, are playing Saturday afternoon. I'm sure that'll be another really hard-fought encounter, those two. Um, there's no love lost between those two. There's a lot of respect in that game, but uh, they hate losing to each other. So I'm sure that'll be a, a cracking game. Um, the women's champions, Panthers, start on Sunday against the under girls and there's also a couple of games on Sunday on Saturday in the women's league with Puffins playing Indies ladies and Cubs playing the under 14 boys so um, yeah busy weekend at the hockey club as I'm sure it will be now for the rest of the season. Jamie off island we spoke about the uh, half marathon at the top and a, a few of those athletes um, <laughs> hoping to be in contention in the southern relays. Um, yes so uh, this is an event which Guernsey's got a good history in I mean our ladies actually won their title in 2018 again we're hoping to be up there we're actually hoping to send at least a te one team to the nationals which will be two weeks later but yeah we've got one team of four ladies we've got two teams of six men it'll be Guernsey going up against some of the best clubs in the south of England uh hopefully living up to the standard they've set in the past and actually having spoken to my dad he reckons we've got the best men's a team we've ever had 
So, no pressure. Well, that's a big endorsement. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, I should probably clarify my dad's fair team manager. It's not just a random chat with my dad. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'll back up on that one, Jamie. If, if Paul Ingerwell says it's possibly the best men's A side, he knows his stuff, I think. Yeah, pretty good. Well, um, best of luck to them and to the women. Um, sure they'll give it their all over there uh, right well that's just about it from us this week um, we'll be back soon with another Guernsey Press Sport podcast um, for now though cheers guys and we'll see you soon cheers Tony <laughs> cheers Tony